Well, you may have noticed that I have been absent for the past two Sundays. So first of all, I would like to thank Pastor Mike and Pastor Sarah. Uh, it is, it does take considerable time to put a message together. And Mike and Sarah, Sarah isn't able to be here with us today, but she's watching online. Um, I just want you to know that I recognize the time that that takes. Over and above the tasks that the Lord has given to you in your specific calling, Thank you. And well done. Um, authentic fellowship and joy. <laughs> what they spoke on the last two Sundays. Passionate, applicable, uh, encouraging. Thank you. Second, Karen and I went to Florida for a week and man did we enjoy good weather. So while you guys were up here literally like 10 below zero for six solid days, uh, we enjoyed 85 degrees and so much sunshine that I had to put my shades on. So I will first say I'm sorry about that. There's a part of me that feels bad about it. Uh, can I say it like that instead? Uh, so maybe I'm not sorry, but I would like to remind you, I want you to know that this nice weather came back when we came back. You are welcome. Our, that's right. Our time down in Florida, I want you to know, however, was not just some vacation time away. We attended an organization called Care for Pastors in Leesburg, Florida. And in that first Sunday that we were away, which is two Sundays ago from today, um, I included something in the prayer requests, and I want to read that something. Uh, in, in the prayer insert, uh, it said, Pastor Jason and Karen are away from our church this week, attending a week-long, on-site, personalized counseling program at Care for Pastors, National Ministry Center in Leesburg, Florida. Please pray for God to speak and work in their lives, bring health and enrich their ministry. I am convinced that a good portion of you took that seriously. I felt many people in our congregation praying for us. I know you did. Thank you. It was a powerful and important week for me. In fact, today I have been led to share with you some of what the Lord said to me during my week away. Lord willing, the way the Lord encouraged me last week will also encourage you. Would you pray with me? Lord God, what I desire and what we desire is to hear from you through your word. So God, we invite you to speak through your word, your inspired word, in such a way that our hearing of it is inspired by you. God, may people, through the next few minutes of our time together, may we be pointed toward you and may we hear from you. That's what we desire. Speak, Holy Spirit. Your servants are listening.
Have you ever been stuck? I mean, I'm sure most of you have been stuck in the snow at one time or another. That's actually not the kind of stuck that I am talking about. I'm talking about being emotionally or spiritually stuck. Maybe you experience something really bad. Bad like losing a job or getting dumped or losing a loved one. Those are the kind of things that can get a person stuck. Everyone at some point in their life, and probably multiple points, has experienced loss, pain. Unfortunately, loss and pain are a part of life. I wish they weren't, but they are. It's not whether we have experienced loss and pain. The real question is, of course, how do we respond? Well, one response is to get stuck. Have you ever gotten stuck after you experienced a significant loss? I have. In fact, I have been living in a stuck place for a long time. More than three years. I have been stuck for more than three years. That's why I went to Florida. So what I'm going to say in the next few minutes is risky for me. You see, I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to get stuck. I'm supposed to be an example to all of you on how to overcome loss and be victorious in Christ. I'm not supposed to get stuck. And yet, I have been. So before I share more, I would like to ask you, will you allow me to share with you a place where I needed to grow in my walk with God? Will you accept me as your pastor, even though I'm going to share a personal weakness with you? I want to share with you a place God has shown his light in my life. My hope is that by my sharing this with you, that same light can shine on your life. The last three years have been difficult for me. And you might be thinking, well, they've been difficult for me too. In fact, they've been difficult for all of us. COVID was so hard. COVID was difficult to navigate. Yes, it was. Um, but I'm not talking about COVID in my stuckness. Now, it contributed to me being stuck for sure. But my stuckness started before COVID. 
At our annual meeting last year, so I'm not talking about a few weeks ago, I'm talking about a year and a few weeks ago. At that annual meeting, I shared with you, those of you that were at that meeting, something that was of deep pain to me. Something that I had experienced regarding the church I grew up in. So only about half of you have heard that story. And I'm going to share with you now just a short section that was actually in the annual report last year. I'm just going to read it because I couldn't think of a way to better summarize it than just reading that. I want you to understand what my stuckness has been about. So this is from the annual report a year ago. This is your pastor, Jason Canole. I have a personal story to tell you about a very difficult and painful situation that has recently occurred in my life. I grew up in the Church of God in Brookings, South Dakota. My parents have been an active part and have invested in this church for over 60 years. My father sang on the worship team for decades, leading worship. He also served on the Board of Trustees for many years as chairman. My mother was active in many behind-the-scenes ministries. I was active in the church youth group. I was baptized in the church building. I preached my first sermon as a junior in high school on a Sunday morning in that church building. My family served faithfully, giving of our money, time, resources, and gifts to that congregation in service to Christ, the kingdom of God, and the church of God in Brookings, South Dakota. Pastor John Long was the only pastor I knew through my entire childhood and young adult years. And Pastor Long was your pastor here in Bertha before being called to Brookings. He was still pastor in Brookings when, as a college student, I felt God's call on my life to pursue ministry, and Karen and I moved to Anderson, Indiana to attend seminary. Shortly after I moved away, Pastor Long retired, and the church called a new pastor. This new pastor was an ordained Church of God pastor in good standing and with good recommendations. My parents befriended this new pastor, supporting and encouraging him and his family as they transitioned into this new pastorate. They had them over for meals and family games many times. All seemed well, and all was well for a few years. I'll let my parents, Ernie and Sharon Canole, tell you what happened next. So now this is from my parents. I would like to give you my take on the problem that happened to the Church of God at Brookings, South Dakota. In the early 2000s, the church called a new pastor to fill the pulpit. He was a Church of God man. About 10 years ago, something happened in his life that changed his basic belief and led the church in a different direction. Over the next years, he was able to remove all the long-term members and replace them with people that agreed with his views. Then he decided to leave the Church of God Fellowship, which they did. But they also took the building over and all the money that was in the accounts. This can be avoided by secure deeding the property to the headquarters in Anderson, Indiana. This gives the leaders in Anderson the power to stop a takeover. Anderson only steps in if somebody other than the local church tries to take over. Had the leaders of our church had the foresight to do this, we would still have our church. We were members of the church for over 60 years and were unable to stop the takeover. And then this is me again. 
I am no longer welcome in the church I grew up in because the current pastor has formally disconnected both himself and the church from the Church of God movement. His theological and practical takeover of the church has been well planned, patient, and thorough. Both my parents and I tried to stop this takeover, but we were unsuccessful. The church that was my foundation is gone. Both the people and the facility. My heart aches. And then my heart turned toward my home, New Life Church of God in Bertha. A vital question rose in my mind, how can I protect New Life Church of God from what has happened in Brookings? The last few years I have been pursuing the answer to that question. Secure deeding is the best way to protect our church. At that meeting, we had discussion a year ago, and we voted to protect our church. I'm thankful for that, but this sermon isn't about that. Something good did come out of that, which is the protection of this church. I thought, I thought if that good thing could happen, I would get unstuck. So now we've done that. Because I, I believe Romans 8.28 on the screen. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I believed that, and I believed that if I could just bring something good out of this pain, I would have relief. But relief did not come. I have been stuck in the pain of losing the church I grew up in. I've been living in the belief that that failure was mine. I lost this church because I wasn't smart enough to stop it. I couldn't talk them out of their theological error. And for the son of a construction worker who didn't take over the construction business because I'm not really good at that stuff, I threw myself my whole life into what I am good at. Which is intellectual stuff, biblical stuff, theological stuff. And so the one thing that I was good at, I failed. The one thing that mattered the most, My parents' church of 60 years was lost because I failed. And this failure was a failure <laughs> at that one thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of good at racquetball, but I'm not sure that counts. More than three years of grief, I have learned something. Three years of grief 
doesn't stay grief. It turns into other things. Things like anger, frustration, and eventually, I have learned, it turns into something even more dangerous than that. It turns into bitterness. Bitterness is a poison. But it isn't a fast-acting poison. It slowly and consistently affects a person's emotions, a person's mental health, and a person's spiritual health. I was stuck in what I had failed to do, and my bitterness began to twist my thinking into a new area. I had recognized what I had failed to do, but my bitterness began to turn my heart towards a new question. What had God failed to do? Why didn't God stop this from happening? After all, I did everything right. I followed the rules. I followed the Bible. I was exceptionally careful to follow the correct procedures in our credentials manual. Why didn't God do what he promises to do? Why didn't he act on my behalf? Why didn't he give me the right words to change their minds? All of these thoughts have been whirling around in the back of my mind for more than three years. Oh yeah, don't forget, COVID happened right there too. Once again, during COVID, I did my best to follow the Bible, to follow the rules, to do the right thing. And once again, I failed to lead our church through COVID in such a way that we came together instead of being divided. Failed. There it is. What I've just shared with you was my first two days in Florida. As I retold in detail those stories to my counselor. But I mentioned it wasn't a vacation. Every night our counselor gave Karen and I homework. Uh, Karen should get some kind of special medal to have to listen to all of this. So if you want to make her a medal, that'd be fine. On Tuesday night I was given a homework assignment, one for me that Karen didn't have to do. I was told to write letters to everyone who had been involved in what happened in Brookings. The counselor called it a brain puke. <laughs> he explained it in such a way of, if you've got something wrong in here, like you eat bad food, what does the body do? Gets rid of it, right? Sometimes our brain needs to puke too. I thought that was an interesting analogy. 
The interesting thing to me is, I, for many of you, who you've sat in my office and you've come to me for pastoral counseling care, I have given you this exact assignment. Write a letter. Some of you are like, yeah, and I didn't. <laughs> you didn't because it's hard to do. To actually get it from here out onto the paper is puking enjoyable. Nobody likes to puke. So when a counselor says you gotta puke, you your initial thought is, I'll just hold it in. Right? Well, if I'm gonna go through all the expense of getting down to Florida and missing Sunday for two weeks, I better do what my counselor says. So I puked. The first letter that I wrote, <coughs> I wrote to the Brookings Church. I'm not going to share that letter. That's personal. But I will tell you that it was a difficult letter to write. Years of frustration, years of anger, years of grief and loss bubbled up from somewhere deep down inside me. Words began to spill onto the page from the dark inner parts of my soul that I didn't even know were there. Now these weren't hateful words, but they were incredibly raw and painful words of my own hurt and failure. They were words of frustration for a church that I loved so much but who had failed to turn away from correct teaching. As I wrote that letter, it came to one spot in the letter. You ever, you ever hear people say, I've got a life verse. You ever hear people say that? I've, I've got a life verse too. It's in Proverbs. Commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. That's my life verse. Okay? I got to the point of writing this letter for my church in Brookings. And I, I was like writing. And I said, Church in Brookings, I have a life verse for you. Your life verse is 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Brookings Church of God, there's your life verse. And then, the Lord said to me, read the two verses before that. There are not many times in my life, and I believe I've heard the Lord audibly speak. I don't think it was audible because Karen was in the room and she didn't hear it. Okay, I was outside. I thought I would have done that. Well, maybe it was audible, I don't know. I thought I heard it. Read the verses before. Okay? Before I continue right now, I want to say something. Up until this moment, this message has not been encouraging. <laughs> it has been a discouraging message. This is where it changes. 
again, my hope is that this experience will be encouraging to you. So in that moment of my deepest pain, pouring out onto that paper, God met me there. Read the two verses before. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And then, God said, and now read the verse after. Verse 5. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And then, it hit me. 2 Timothy chapter 4 are the final words of the Apostle Paul that we have recorded in Scripture from him. These are his last words. And he penned them to his younger apprentice in the faith, Timothy. We think it's possible that Paul penned these from a jail cell the night before he was executed. I've been in that jail cell. It's in Rome. I've stood in the place where these words may have been penned. Paul had sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus because that church had gone off the rails theologically. Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote that, and he knew that he was about to be executed. And so what we're reading here is Paul's final chance to, to pass the baton to Timothy. And so, he gives Timothy a charge. A charge is an important thing. It's not just instructions. It's bigger than that. It's, it's like in the realm of marriage vows. Right? It's like a, a solemn oath. A charge. And now let me read the entire charge that Paul gave to Timothy as Timothy was working to fight against theological error in the church in Ephesus. Here's the entire charge. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And here is what struck me like a lightning bolt. The itching ears 
the people who refuse to listen to the truth are part of the charge. Paul doesn't just say, preach the gospel, keep your head, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill the duties of ministry. No, he doesn't just say that. He says, as part of all of that, people will not listen. That's what you are to expect. So let me give you the charge. Preach the word. Correct, rebuke, encourage patiently and carefully. That's number one. People aren't going to listen. That's number two. And so when they don't listen, don't be surprised. Number three, keep your head, endure hardship, continue to evangelize, do your ministry duty. You see, my measure of success with Brookings was not God's measure. It was just mine. Success in God's kingdom is measured by our faithfulness to Him. It is not measured by what we think is success. Did I preach the word to Brookings? Yes. Did they reject the word and follow their itching ears? Yes. Was I surprised? Yes. And that's where I went off the rails. My responsibility was to faithfully present the truth of God's word to them. The results of that preaching of the word are between them and God. I must set that down and leave it there. And finally, did I keep my head, endure hardship, continue to evangelize, continue my duties in ministry? Partially. I didn't just fall off the map. But the longer that I was stuck holding the responsibility of something that was not my responsibility to hold, the less effective I could be doing all of those things. And here is the moment of light that I share with you. Are you stuck? Are you holding on to responsibility that is not yours to hold? Think of COVID and the relational devastation that has accompanied it. Are you stuck? Are you stuck there? Why couldn't you change their mind? Why couldn't they just listen? the truth. By the way, that applies equally to whatever side of that debate you ended up on. Everybody got that? 
Wrong question. Can I ask you the right question? Were you faithful to God through it all? And then you can leave the results to Him. Freedom is what I offer you right now. Our job is to be Jesus' people. Our job is to be faithful in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Preach the word. Our job isn't to make people respond. Preach the word. Expect resistance.
Let's be free together. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You are trustworthy. Help us, Lord, to get our expectations to match up with your word. <laughs> May we see clearly so that we can live in the freedom that you offer. <laughs>